Welcome to The John Chapman Show, where we talk about the path of a wealthy millennial, uncovering the truth about building and protecting your nest egg. Join us on this journey as we hear the stories of millennials and mentors alike to help you plan, manage, and protect your wealth. John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. What was your morning routine like this morning? Maybe you popped out of bed and had an exercise or a cup of coffee or you attended to your kids. I know for me, I made my famous waffle recipe before transitioning to work. But have you ever stopped to consider what it would have been like if you didn't have your health, your body or your legs to get you out of bed? These are things that's natural to take for granted. I know I do. But what would it look like if you had to rely on a wheelchair or somebody else to get you out of bed and start your day? Well, on today's episode, we take a pause from personal finance to talk about an organization that's close to my heart. My guest on today's episode is Nuka Solomon. She's the chief executive officer of Free Wheelchair Mission, a nonprofit organization which provides the gift of mobility. And in practice, they manufacture and deliver wheelchairs to those in developing countries who are in need. And with over 75 million people in the world needing some form of mobility assistance, there's a huge need. This is an organization that I've known about for many years. I've recently gotten more involved to help support their awareness and fundraising efforts. So be sure to check out the show notes today where you can find a link to the free wheelchair mission website. And and if you're listening to this before July 23rd, be sure to attend their free virtual Miracle of Mobility event. Again, it's July 23rd at 6 p.m. So you can support this amazing mission. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Well, Nuka, thanks for joining me. You know, it's interesting when I woke up this morning and the first thing I did, looked at my cell phone. I wanted to check Twitter, the overnight news, but then I just popped out of bed. I ran downstairs to make pancakes as part of my routine. You know, it's interesting if I, if I reflect on my, the first 10 or 15 minutes of my morning, I totally take for granted standing my own two legs. I take for granted my health. And in part of what is so powerful about free wheelchair mission is it makes me realize how much I take for granted. Nuka, how many people in the world don't have that type of luxury? Well, thanks for having me, John. Really kind of you to invite me to speak about this important mission. Free wheelchair mission has been in existence since 2001. And we're in existence because unfortunately, there are 75 million people in the world at any given time that need a wheelchair. Mm, That's a lot. So it's been around since 2001, Nuka. How did Free Wheelchair Mission start? And what what were the factors that led up to that? Well, it's a really heartwarming story. Free Wheelchair Mission was founded by a biomedical engineer, Don Schoendorfer, who lives in Orange County. And he remembered a story of a woman that he saw dragging herself along the ground in Morocco many, many years ago when he was on a trip with his wife and he couldn't unsee that vision, Mm. that vision that you described of somebody who wasn't able to have um, their mobility. And he decided to do something about it and thought the best way to do it would be to find a way to invent a device, a medical device that could be put to market en masse in a cost-effective way, a durable way, and be distributed in the developing world to people like the woman that he saw. So Mm -hmm. he went about creating a wheelchair, something that actually looks a lot like a lawn chair that you would see, a plastic lawn chair that you would see, a white resin one. 
with um, very durable mountain bike tires and a contraption that could be made in a really cost-effective way. He made hundreds of them. And before he knew it, he had a nonprofit in the making. He thought initially that he would sell the idea to someone or write a paper to kind of inspire someone to start at the nonprofit. But he ended up doing it himself. Hmm. And we've been in existence since 2001. It makes me think for such a large problem, 75 million people that don't have mobility with their legs to be able to walk, like what a large problem. And, and I just wonder in 2001, what other resources, organizations, nonprofits, what else existed to help fill this gap or fill this need? Well, there were several um, like they are today that also do wheelchairs like us, but uh, many of them were and still are distributing wheelchairs on a much smaller scale than we have. We've distributed well over 1.1 million. We reached our a millionth wheelchair milestone in 2017. That's awesome. The other issue is that we are amongst a group that many of them, they give out wheelchairs that are refurbished. And our model is to give out brand new wheelchairs. So we manufacture the wheelchairs abroad, and then they get sent from the factory in China to our distribution partners in many countries throughout the developing world. We actually make three wheelchairs, the original design, our Gen 1, as we call it, wheelchair, the white resin one that started it all, is on its way to being cycled out. And we have two other wheelchairs that are our standard basic needs wheelchairs that we distribute en masse. So I think that to answer your question, there are others, there are several others, and there continue to be peers that do what we do, but we're one of the largest in terms of the scale that we distribute every year. So I think something that I'd like for the audience to understand is how you're getting in touch with the end user, the end recipient of this. Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to understand the problem exists. The next, using Don's engineering background, you know, he's making the prototype and probably using his God-given talents to do that sort of thing. But you still have to have the supply chain to get it to those people. So how do you how even... Does, make, how does it all work? Uh, right? How does it all work? That's just a, <laughs> It's sort of mind-scratching even today to understand that. So tell us a little bit of some of the inner workings of how do you put it all together? So there's a process. We, like every nonprofit, we have a very um, robust and strong programs team that builds relationships with what we call distribution partners around the world. These are entities that are NGOs, so non-governmental agencies or organizations. They could be nonprofits, they could be churches, they could be clinics, or they could be hospitals that have a need for wheelchairs. Some of them are um, doing exclusively mobility-related work, and others are doing a combination of humanitarian work, community work, but all of them um, in some way have a need for wheelchairs in their communities. And we're working primarily in areas that are impoverished or that have very limited resources. So our whole platform is focused in on the developing world. And what happens is once the wheelchairs are manufactured, the wheelchairs go from China to those countries. And the relationship with the partners is based on a contractual understanding that we will be their true partner. In other words, we're not just doing a transactional exchange of goods. We are holding their hand and really getting to know them and making sure that they're going to maintain compliance in the execution of our program by 
really understanding what it is to assemble the wheelchairs properly, to train their staff accordingly, to really distribute the wheelchairs from an appropriate provision standpoint, from a medical standpoint. And we do that through audits and coachings and trainings that our team does. And then we teach them how to actually distribute. So are they distributing en masse or are they distributing door to door or are they inviting people to come in in small groups to really allow for them to kind of figure out what works for them within the context of their of their town, their village, their city. And then that's when the end user comes to the picture, the person that we're really truly serving. And then we coach them as to how to build a relationship with that recipient. If, it, if it's just for a short time, just understanding what their needs are, doing the right measurements, giving them the right understanding as to how to take care of the device that they're about to get. And really also sharing with them that the wheelchair at the end of the day is being given to them because they're deserving mm. and that they're loved by God. And that despite their circumstance, whether they were born that way or they had an accident or they became sick, um, or it could be old age, right? That they are worthy, despite their situation, to mm -hmm. get a, a brand new device like a wheelchair. Nuka, this is something I want to make sure that we pause on because I get excited about the logistics and the supply chain. But the real power of this is this person that previously didn't have the opportunity to walk. And, you know, it, this is hard for, I've had to learn this from being a part of your organization and, and just seeing it um, and hearing some of the stories, but not having mobility has significant implications for that individual and that family and that community. Maybe some people believe, you know, that they did something wrong. Maybe they're undeserving to walk, or maybe if they shouldn't walk, they should be treated in a certain way. This is so heavy. And I, and I almost get chills just talking about it. So share with me maybe either an example or just what it means for somebody to not have mobility. How does that affect their family oh, and their it, life? You hit it right on, on the head there. It's, it is significant. I mean, the best thing I can say, and you, and I know you have children is, Imagine if, you know, one of your children couldn't walk and you were impoverished and potentially maybe you were a single dad and you needed to figure out how you were going to put food on the table for your family, but you have your child who can't walk. And maybe you even live in a village where there are issues in terms of crime or drought or other circumstances on top of that compounding your, your problems. And so then you have to determine, are you going to carry your child on your back all day long while you potentially work in a field? Are you going to stay at home and then limit your possibilities in terms of bringing in an income for your family? Um, and then it can go on and on. And as you mentioned, there are people who believe, and it's a primitive belief per se, that they are cursed if they have a family member with such a disability. So it also can create a stigma in terms of the family potentially getting themselves out there and getting help and basically telling people that they need help because they don't want to highlight the fact that they, in their mind, are cursed, um, which is a very sad thing. So when we come in with a wheelchair, it kind of packs all of that and it gives them the potential to understand that someone from far away cared enough 
and is doing something to show them that there's a possibility. So a possibility for them to not have to put their child on their back all day long, a possibility for them to see that they aren't cursed because something brand new that they've never potentially even gotten anything brand new was handed to them just because. Um, I've traveled to several different countries around the world and each time the story is the same, either the person is like in the case of Haiti where there was a major earthquake many years ago and the person is amputated, for example, and they may have been waiting for over a decade for a wheelchair. I met a young boy that was on crutches for eight years before we came and brought him a wheelchair. So he was an amputee. He was going to school every day on crutches, walking 30 minutes each way. And that wheelchair was his first opportunity, as he said to me, for his arms not to hurt so much at the end of the day from holding his crutches. That will allow that for him to be able to spend more time in school and be able to spend more time being educated, less stress for his mother in his commute every day on those crutches. I mean, it's, it's significant. That's significant. I, it's hard to not feel moved when I hear stories like this. And it's just, it's really incredible. It's hard for me to even wrap my head around that. So I think one thing that's unique about this, different from buying a wheelchair in a store, or maybe just having a church on the ground in Haiti, give out a wheelchair to those in need. Free Wheelchair Mission has an active role in the distribution process. So once a location is set, a partner is created, a partnership is created, and uh, you're giving out a set number of wheelchairs, it sounds like there's a team of people that are actually on the ground, maybe putting this together, but then also giving it to the recipient. So just talk to us about, maybe you can use the example of Haiti or maybe another location. Yeah. You know, on average, how many wheelchairs are being sent? And what's the number of team members that go down there? And what's the length of time? So what, what does the interaction look like on the ground when okay. those in need re- start to receive their wheelchairs? So the wheelchairs are distributed in container, they're, they're sent, I should say, in container shipments. So in order for, some, for a partner to work with us, they have to be able to receive a full container of wheelchairs, which is approximately 500 or so wheelchairs. And the wheelchairs have um, come in various sizes. And basically those sizes are determined based upon what our partners tell us they need. Some of our partners receive one container in a year and some receive as many as 15 or 10 or 30. And so they have to be able to import, they have to be able to handle receiving the goods from the port and then the logistics of then transporting that, those containers or the container to the eventual site Mm. of where they will be assembled. The wheelchairs arrive unassembled in boxes with instruction guides And we train them. So our staff from our office in Irvine, California, and also some team members that we have based um, in other parts of the country or the world. And we have two people that are based in Central America. They go to our partners and they teach them and they train them as to how to assemble. And it's a train the trainer model where The idea is that we go in and we train and we hope that then they retain the information and then transfer that information to their teams. Part of that process is done face-to-face and part of that process is done on an ongoing basis remotely. We have a very robust training curriculum. It's very, very important to us. Appropriate wheelchair provision is at the heart of our program. 
And so we have an online module as well and are constantly communicating with our partners, particularly in the context of issues like today with COVID. So the team that goes in that is actually implementing the training, they are traveling constantly and then they leave and they leave so that the partners can do for themselves. Our model is one in which we want to make sure that our partners feel empowered, Mm. that we're not coming in with a white horse and trying to solve everything without a Mm. firm understanding of what they're contending with in their country Mm. and the ideas for them to implement the program. And then we also come back and audit, retrain as things change. And then we send teams of volunteers. So we have major supporters who go in with our staff and we do about mm, anywhere from about six to 10 trips a year, obviously pre-COVID. And we do distributions where we give opportunities for uh, volunteers to also assemble wheelchairs and spend time with the recipients. Yeah. I can understand that in pre-COVID environment, the logistic of all of this takes a lot of work and coordination, but talk to us a little bit about just from start to finish, manufacturing to shipping to getting boots on the ground, how has COVID impacted free wheelchair mission? Oh, wow. So we were actually impacted in a big way, I think even before all of the stay-at-home orders that we've experienced here in the United States. Um, This went back to, I would say, January because our factory, the main factory that we work with is in China. And so they were in the midst of Chinese New Year at the time. So they always locked down and shut down for a few weeks. And so when the virus really created a firestorm of quarantines and lockdowns and shutdowns by their government, we weren't initially impacted, but then after Chinese New Year and those quarantines were still in place, we definitely were. So our manufacturing side was shut down, I would say, for, uh, I would say six weeks, almost eight weeks. And that put a stall in our supply chain. We were monitoring the situation very closely, but then it came to pass that we were also dealing with things that were creeping up here in the United States, as everyone else was. By the time our factory came back online and was operational, then we shut down here. And our team had to do what many businesses had to do, which was to regroup and work remotely, which a lot of us were used to doing because we have a core team that travels all over the world regularly. So it meant for me as a leader that I had to kind of think through how we were going to operate day to day with the team working remotely, and then also how to contend with potential future supply chain changes if, God forbid, our factory had to shut down again because our understanding and agreement was that if any of the workers were to get the virus, that we would shut down for a period of two to two weeks to a month. Thankfully, that hasn't happened since they reopened. And we've been back and running in terms of making wheelchairs since I think it was sometime in March that we really started you know, getting back online. In terms of how we've shifted, there is another side of our work that we don't publicize a lot because the core of our mission is really giving out wheelchairs. But we have for quite some time given out other medical supplies and mobility devices. So crutches, walkers, orthopedic goods, nutritional aids, anything that would have an impact besides a wheelchair in enhancing Mm. someone's life and potentially either stave off their need 
Mm. Um, to have to need a wheelchair or just potentially give them an alternative device that they may need instead of a wheelchair. And so we have very select partners that we give out on those medical supplies to. And so since COVID, thankfully, we've seen an increase in rigor in terms of our team, um, in terms of our supporters, really understanding that side of our work. So that's been a positive. Unfortunately, of course, the need is greater from our partners because of COVID. Right. So while it's it's highlighted, you know, what we're working on, unfortunately, the need is great. But thankfully, we haven't missed a beat. We've still been able to get them um, the items they need, including PPE. And some have asked, you know, how are you able to get them PPE if, you know, there, ha- there were shortages in our country? Well, because our suppliers here in the States that uh, we work with, that's the core of their work is giving yeah. out aid internationally. And mm. the U.S. government has not stopped in being generous in that way. So I would say the big shift has been really talking more about the medical supplies that our partners need in addition to wheelchairs and communicating that to our supporters. And every other change is really what other nonprofits have talked about recently in terms of really going to a virtual model of fundraising and everything else. So good segue. We're June of 2020 of this recording, and sounds like you guys are really gearing up for your biggest event of the year. So Nuka, talk a little bit about the Miracle of Mobility event, how it historically has been, and some of the shifts that you've gone to for this year's event. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, well, our mir- Miracle of Mobility, as we call it, some people may refer to it as a gala, but I don't really think of it that way because it's not one of those rubber chicken dinner, as I call them, balls or, or black tie events. Um, okay. It's a very elegant event that really highlights the best of our mission. And we usually do it at the end of July. And then we do it locally where our offices are in Orange County in a big arena or concert hall, I should say. And we were planning for it to be this year again at the same venue on July 23rd. And when COVID happened quickly thereafter, we had to shift, as you asked. And so, um, like other organizations, we're doing um, our event virtually this year. So it'll still be on July 23rd at 6 p.m., but it will all be virtual, um, a live stream free event this year since it's virtual. And it'll be on Facebook and other social media sites. And in a positive sense, I think it's going to force us to do something that we've needed to do for a while is really to go big in terms of our reach across the nation. We've always had very loyal supporters around the country and around the world, but um, the core of our fundraising has focused on California for a long time. And we've tried to make big inroads in Texas and the East Coast and the South for quite some time and the Midwest, I mean, really all parts of the nation. But now, With this, it's really giving us an opportunity to invite everyone to participate. And so we've got some really great talent that's going to be part of the event. Nick Foles, who's a quarterback with the Chicago Bears. We've got a great group of King and Country that are going to be performing and others, as well as our core team, our founder, and other supporters that are really going to be there to highlight the importance for the mission. And historically, this event is really great because it allows for people to give anywhere from one wheelchair, which we say is about an $80 donation, or a container worth of wheelchairs, which is $44,000 or more, and anything less or in between or Mm. greater. Mm. 
So it's not one of those events where we just focus on an auction or other things. You really get to the heart of the matter, which is that we're trying to do as many wheelchairs as possible for as many people that are in need and that are really deserving. So and you said earlier that you had achieved your millionth wheelchair to be yes. uh, manufactured and then delivered. So what are the other, what's the vision that Free Wheelchair Mission has as of 2020 and in the coming couple of years? Well, the vision is to do the next million, period, full stop. Yeah. <laughs> we are... In, in what amount of time? Yeah, so we have, we're trying to figure that out. With COVID, we've, we're regrouping the intention has been to look at potentially 2025 as a benchmark to kind of go by and see, okay, can we get close to that? We initially thought maybe half the time since we reached the millionth wheelchair in 2017. So, you know, the organization was about 15, 16 years old at the time. So could we do it in half the time? And with COVID, we're really having to regroup, you know, and, and look at since we're reducing and like many businesses and organizations, reducing our expenses and really trying to be lean with the economic situation being what it is. But ultimately, we're hopeful that we will reach that millionth wheelchair milestone in a much shorter time than we did the first, which means that we're looking to try to do exponential growth and not just little tiny increments, right? Would you be comfortable sharing what your targets are of fundraising that you'd have? But you know, what does Free Wheelchair Mission need to receive in donations over the next five years per year to be able to hit that million dollar wheelchair? Excuse me, million wheelchair. Yeah. So in our best, we're a ten million dollar organization, right? Raising a lot of times in cash revenue, anywhere from eight to nine million. So you know, by the time we get to the next million, we need to double that at the end of the day, if we're going for exponential growth, factoring in a lot of things like increased resources needed in terms of staffing or, um, and that's to implement a wider and bigger program, right? And then just obvious inflation and increased yeah. costs that come to pass. But I would, as we looked at it uh, a couple of years ago, it would be about almost doubling um, in terms of our budget and the revenue that we would need. But keeping and hopefully maintaining, of course, the integrity of the program the whole time. And unless we were to decide that we wanted to shift gears and do something differently in terms of the way we execute our program model, but if we were to keep it the way it is, that's about what it would need to be. Setting big goals, Nuka, is exciting. It's exciting for me to hear in part because... We've even just heard right now how big of an impact and the significance of this and, uh, and just what it would mean to the communities around the world for free wheelchair mission to actually hit on their goal, get basically double over the next five years and deliver the next million wheelchairs to recipients on the ground. I mean, it's in some ways, it's a, it's a preposterous goal, but it's actually, that makes it exciting. And, and I just wonder if God would have his hand in, in guiding your organization in that way to maybe even achieve or just far exceed that goal. So I can't help but feel a little bit excited because we've heard in COVID environment, uh, while have, there have been naturally winners and losers in maybe the business sense, um, there's been new fruit that, that's born out of it. And so, I wonder if that'll take shape for free wheelchair mission. That is absolutely yeah. our hope. We're being mindful and trying to be very realistic um, in terms of how we plan. But ultimately, our hope is that God will have his hand on us and that miracles will come to pass. Um, that's why we set an, an aspirational goal in the end, right? 
because we can plan all we want, but at the end of the day, he's in the driver's seat. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Nuka, I really want people to be able to participate in the Miracle of Mobility event. Again, I just want to highlight what Nuka said. It's a free admission. Uh, it's all virtual. Everyone can tune in on their on their smartphone or their computer. I'll have a link in the show notes for those listening, so you you make sure to check it out. Um, if do if people do want to search right now online, uh, Nuka, what's the best way for them to find out? Um, more the best way to um, look it up is go to our website, and there's a link right there on the homepage. It's freewheelchairmission.org. And then it'll take you to the landing page for the event, which is called the Miracle of Mobility Live on July 23rd. Awesome. I'll put a link again in the show notes for those listening. So Nuka, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today to talk about this important mission. It's it's had a place in my heart for a long time. I, I was actually uh, there at Mariner's Church in Irvine, California in the uh, early 2000s when Don was showing off his prototype models. And so, you know, for almost 20 years, I've sort of known about it from afar, but only recently just it, it's gotten a hold of my heart. And so I just excited to be able to share your mission with the audience. And I really would ask that everyone listening to participate in the event where they can. So thanks again for joining us today, Nuka. I appreciate your time. Thank you for hosting me, John. Very kind. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.